This is the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. Each week, Penny shares proven ADHD parenting strategies and her hard-won ADHD mama wisdom. This is not your physician's podcast. Penny discusses the genuine grit of the moment-by-moment peaks and valleys of this special parenthood. It's time to beat the chaos and challenges of raising a child with ADHD. Here's your host, Penny Williams. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Parenting ADHD Podcast. This is episode number 23, and we're going to talk today about maintaining healthy relationships in your family when you have a child with ADHD. And my guests today are Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, who are the co-founders of ImpactADHD.com, which is an online resource for parents raising kids with learning disabilities, anxiety, ADHD, and related challenges. They're parent educators and certified coaches with six complex kids between their two families. They're internationally recognized for their realistic and effective coach approach to parenting complex kids. Impact ADHD's award-winning blog and programs teach parent management, providing training, coaching, and support for parents to confidently raise independent and successful kids. Authors of Parenting ADHD Now, Easy Intervention Strategies to Empower Kids with ADHD, they help parents reduce stress and enjoy their complex children. Thanks so much for joining me today, ladies. I really appreciate it, and I'm looking forward to this conversation. Me too. Thanks for having yeah, us. Yeah, this is exciting. Absolutely. I would love to talk to you, Penny. Oh, thank you. You guys too. I am a huge fan. I want to talk today, of course, about maintaining healthy relationships in your family. A lot of parents really struggle, I think, between each other with their relationship, um, their partner or spouse relationship. And I think, you know, too, we see a lot of parents struggling with their relationships with their complex child, but also their other children because they have to focus more um, on their complex child. So I know that you guys work a lot with families on uh, maintaining healthy relationships. So I wanted to really dive into that with you today and offer those insights to our audience. Um, if you would, just to start out, let us know what your um, kind of definition of a healthy relationship is. What do you define that as? So as we're talking about healthy relationships, everyone knows exactly, um, you know, what that goal is. What a great question to, to yeah, kick it know. off, because um, it, it's really thought provoking. And as, as you say that, it's like, I'm not sure I've ever really stepped back and defined what a healthy relationship is. But I guess what I would say, and, and Diana can't wait to hear, because it, it's probably somewhat different for different people, right? Sure. Um, but what I would say is a healthy relationship is, is one where there is a mutual respect for each other's um, humanness, right? Mm-hmm. For our gifts, our strengths, our challenges, our mistakes, um, and that we sort of meet when you're in a healthy relationship, you're meeting somebody where they are and, um, and you're sort of part champion and encouraging them to do better, be better, um, part support, part, um, you know, loving support, part playmate, 
Um, when I think about the dynamic in my home, and, and I often joke that my, my kids are like puppies, you know, they're rolling around on the floor together and they're playing together. And, um, and, and I think they have incredibly healthy relationships with each other because there's just this, this really deep mutual respect for each other's strengths and challenges. Yeah. But how would you address it, Diane? Well, you know, I think I would I would take it much more simply because I, you said it, which is it's different for everybody. Yeah. And, you know, and everybody has different values when it comes to relationship. And so that word respect may or may not resonate with somebody. And so I, what, I think it's really, to me, it's really simple. It's like, do I feel good in this relationship? You know, does the other person feel good in this relationship? Yeah. Uh, does, does it make me, does it, does it make me feel supported? Does it make me feel happy? Does it, you know, all those things that we want from being in relationship, um, are, are we getting those things that we want? I think that that's kind of what I would more simply kind of say. Yeah. And I think too, I would add that it's not picture perfect, you right. know, a healthy relationship is not defined as always happy, never struggling, never disagreeing, never arguing, because that's just not realistic. So I want to be yeah. very clear, I think, with listeners that um, a healthy relationship is not hunky-dory all the time. There yeah. are there are always struggles and challenges, but, you know, I think that it, it boils down to that respect and that kind of internal mindfulness and my feeling good? Am I getting what I need from this relationship? And so, um, and, and, and the ahead. capacity to work through those challenges when they show right. up, right. Yeah. That, right. The, the, sure. the communication skills to be able to, to, to recognize when there's an upset or a problem or a fight or whatever, and to, and to weather it. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the piece is that a, a conscious relationship does acknowledge what you're just, what you're both describing, which is, it's not going to always, I, you know, my relationship with you is not going to always make me happy. And it's not, I personally don't believe it's the relationship's job to make me happy, but do I feel safe to, um, you know, work, work with Explore. you to make yeah. changes and, um, you know, and, and feel like it's a growing relationship and feel like it's, um, you know, again, it's a safe place to be. And there's, uh, there's so many, and I think this is the piece of it, there's so many relationships we're talking about here, Penny, is that there's all of the different variables when we're talking right. about ADHD kids. It's our relationship with our kids. It's our kids' relationship with each other. It's our relationship with a co-parent, if we're co-parenting. It's our relationship, honestly, with ourselves. Selves, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> all, of those, all of those things are impacted um, in this dynamic in a very different way when you've got a complex kid. Right, right. And I think collaboration is key to, you know, as we Absolutely. talk about working through those struggles and challenges together in a healthy way, um, collaboration, I think, is always the best um, way to resolve conflicts and, and to create a win-win for everybody. Um, mm -hmm. and, and to me, that is part of that healthy component of a relationship is that everybody is kind of winning, so to speak. Everybody is getting what they need um, out mm -hmm. of their relationships. So you, Diane just um, 
elaborated a little bit about all the different relationships that can be impacted by raising a child with ADHD or having a child with ADHD in your family. And I think maybe if we just touch on each one a little bit, that will help give our listeners a few strategies. I think the number one that I hear the most complaints about and the most struggles about is definitely that partner, spouse, Mm -hmm. co-parent relationship. And I think it's so hard to get on the same page with your parenting style and what your, you know, the approaches that you're going to take with a child with ADHD, because two people are often raised very differently. You know, in my family, I was raised one way. My husband, um, unfortunately, grew up in a challenging environment, a challenging family. And so for him, there was always this very authoritarian, you do what I say or else. And, and you know, he, he doesn't want to be that parent. He, know, he knows there's a better way. But at the same time, he's kind of programmed by being raised that way. And Mm -hmm. so I think, you know, that's just one example of what a lot of families go through is that you have to be very mindful and very intentional of the parenting approaches that you use with a child with ADHD. So how Mm -hmm. do you get on the same page? How do you um, respect each other in that way and, um, you know, maintain your relationship while also doing the right thing for your child? Mm. That's such a it's such a huge question. There's so many pieces to it, right? Yes. Um, So the first thing that jumps out at me is that... um, Getting on the same page does not necessarily mean parenting the same way. And and I think that getting on the same page can be about sort of both accepting or understanding what's happening in the dynamic in the home, accepting what's happening with the ADHD and how it shows up, understanding it. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of sort of learning and where we where it helps a lot to come together is is sort of a shared vision of where are we and where do we want to go? What are the what are the shared values we have as a family and as a couple? Um, and there's a certain amount of a, a need to respect that we are going to do it differently. Um, and that doesn't mean we want to do it in a in a way that's um, harmful. But but that my husband's approach is going to be different from mine, and that's actually normal. And I can't expect him to do it exactly my way. That I can work with him for us to have a shared vision of what we want and know that we may have different paths to get there. And that's there's a lot of nuance in that. It's not easy to do, but I think it starts with um, in relationship systems coaching, you're talking about sort of putting the relationship out front and recognizing that it's a separate entity. Um, and so that there's a value to understanding sort of what is it that we both are aligned about? What do we both care about that's important? And focusing there instead of the how to do it really makes sure we're both on the same page in terms of what do we want for our kid, for ourselves, for our family. Does that resonate? Yeah. And then what happens when um, one parent has an approach that really doesn't work for kids with ADHD? You know, Mm -hmm. I see that a lot in that, you know, we have very specific ways of approaching a child with ADHD that are the best you know some things work some things don't Mm -hmm. and so you know I see that struggle that dynamic not just with different 
parenting styles, but with coming together on the same page as far as what strategies they're going to use, what's going to work and what's not going to work. Um, because some and, and parenting I mean, styles just don't work for ADHD. Well, and I would take that a step further because the reality is that there's a lot of parents out there that aren't in a situation where their co-parent is even, um, I don't want to say this in a judgmental way, but it's, it's not conscious of the differences, is not right. in, willing to engage in the conversation. And so, Elaine, you're describing kind of if the two of you know you're handling it differently, kind of how do you how do you figure out how to work together? There exactly. are many parents that are out there in a situation where one parent is saying, no, this is right, and it's really not working, or I don't want to deal with this, or what you know, whatever. There's all kinds of scenarios here. And, and so I think that the response is um, uh, focused on, you know, you control what you can and mm-hmm. focus on what you can do as a, as a parent. And, and I'm going to use mom because I happen to be a mom, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, if I was in a parenting relationship where my co-parent just was not anywhere near willing to have a conversation, able to have a conversation, willing to change behavior, you know, it, it really doesn't take two to turn a ship. And you do what you can to really um, support your child um, the way that you know best and trust that that's going to be as effective as it can be. And you, um, you know, there's a lot of parents who, when they, that I work with, that when they do that, changes begin to happen in the family. And the other parent goes, wow, that's working. What are you mm-hmm. doing? Maybe I can change. Um, but there are other times that they just have to figure out how to help their kid to dance around a difference in parenting. Well, so so I, I love what you're saying, Diane, and it makes it reminds me of the very first, very first five, like five minutes of, of sanity school, right? Our, our a parent management program we teach, we talk about this issue about it would be great if you can get on the same page, and and it only takes one parent to turn a ship, and that I you love know, that. Because yeah. we're talking about relationships and each of us are in individual relationships with each of our kids and all of, you know, and so we have to start with, with where we do have some ability to control, which is ourselves. We can control, we can't control what happens, but we can control how we respond to what happens. Right, right. And so if we start with us, as Diane says, you know, ideally, and, and our story is actually like that. I've been doing this work for a couple of years and my husband sort of finally came around and came on board and actually became a coach himself as well. And years later, I asked him what changed and he, he laughed and he looked at me, he said, I just couldn't deny anymore that what you were doing was working. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, <laughs> yeah. I was talking to someone about some parent coaching the other day recently and, um, the same conversation came up, you know, she said, my husband is not on the same page with this. He doesn't even really believe, um, that ADHD is an issue. Sure. And so yeah. if I do this program, you know, if I, if I'm coached and I learn what I need to be doing, is it going to be beneficial because he's not mm-hmm. going to be on the same page? And I said, well, absolutely. Because for one thing, you're being the parent that you want to be, you're parenting with purpose and intention. And when he starts to see things turn around, he very well might say, hey, I see that this is working. And, you know, exactly what both of you said, come around mm-hmm. to it and really um, start to accept it. And I've kind of seen some of that in my own household too you know in 
seeing when things go better, when the outcome is better or um, the conversation is easier really Mm -hmm. does help someone else to say, hey, you know, I see that the outcome was better this time. Maybe I'll shift things up and see if this works for me, too. So I definitely agree Mm -hmm. with that. And I think, you know, the parent who... um, is trying to implement things that they know are going to work better with their child just has to keep following through with what they believe. And, and I, I think it, you can let it not affect your relationship or you can let it, you know, really drive a wedge between you. And, mm-hmm. um, obviously we want our families to continue to have healthy relationships. So, um, I think that, you know, knowing that one person can turn the ship around and that you're doing the best you can for your child and letting everything else come along can go a long way to not really letting that become a huge issue in your relationship. Yeah. Well, and the other thing I'll I'll, I'll say, I'm beginning to notice is that as we have a younger generation of parents coming into parenting, right, with younger Mm -hmm. kids, I see more collaboration and couples and I see more people coming in together saying, you know, we want to do this together. We want to learn together. We want support. And, and I do see the paradigm beginning to shift to a more balanced and equal relationship. Um, I don't know if y'all are seeing that in, in your work with parents, but there is definitely uh, the younger generation coming in gets that this, this issue of, of working together to, to address these issues is really profoundly important or mm-hmm. extremely helpful anyway. Yeah. So, so there's yeah. your hope there's- for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm seeing well, a lot more dads, you know, for a long exactly. time. It's all been all of us moms. We're doing it yeah. all. We're figuring it out. We're going to the appointments. We're going to the school meetings. And I am getting a lot more dads reaching out now, which is awesome. Yeah. You know, um, that's yeah. incredible. That's what our kids need. They need both parents to really understand their truth and what they need from us um that you know that's the ideal that is the ideal and and for those who who don't or can't or won't as i am was speaking to um then then part of our role may be helping them learn to navigate their relationship with their parents differently and that's and that's okay too that's part of what they're going to learn in life yeah Um, which is sort of a good segue to the relationship with the kids right Absolutely. Yeah. So I think that the added stress of having a challenging child, um, a child who isn't always listening to you, isn't always following instructions or responsive or willing to do what you're asking in the time frame or um, with the attitude that you would like, it creates a lot of strain. You know, that stress Mm -hmm. can certainly impact your relationship with your child. And I know I always tell parents that that relationship is more important than some other things like four hours of homework every day. Your relationship with your child is more important than homework. Um, A lot of people don't agree with me on that, but I feel very strongly about that. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. And I would say that that when it comes to the relationship with um, between the parent and the child, I kind of see two patterns of, I'm going to use the word dysfunction, which is not the best word, but it's kind of like two, two places where it kind of goes off balance. And one is with frustration and anger and emotions. Mm -hmm. And we talk about trigger management a lot. 
And then the other is about the fact that we, we end up focused so much on the business of life, whether it's homework or mm-hmm. chores or whatever else that we, you know, we don't have, we don't have the time or we don't think we have the time. Or we don't take the time to kind of really have a relationship outside of making sure they get their homework done and making sure their chores are done and driving them to wherever they're driving to next. Um, and so those are kind of the two general patterns of challenges that I see in the relationship between parent and child um, that I think we could talk about a little bit. Well, I, I want to add one more to it because I, I agree with you totally. And the, and the third one sort of ties back to what Penny was saying at the beginning, which is I have a lot of moms that come in realizing that they didn't have any modeling in their parents, mm-hmm. that they were mm-hmm. raised in dysfunctional or abusive homes. Right. Um, and so they're trying to learn how to parent, to parent in a new paradigm and to break the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that it's really important to talk about parental expectations. And I talk about Mm -hmm. this a lot on the podcast and, and in my work with parents is that, you know, we, we grow up learning a certain um, set of rules for parenting, right? We have this certain parent expectation of what it's like Mm -hmm. to be a parent, what, um, you know, our kids should do if we are a good parent, you know, how they Mm -hmm. reflect on us. And with kids with ADHD or other challenges, you really have to completely throw out that expectation. You have to recraft it for your child, your family. So having a perfectly clean house is not necessarily the most important thing in your family. You know, Mm -hmm. your kids' grades in school aren't necessarily the most important thing. Um, You know, so many of those other things, having your kid participate in sports and arts and, you know, play an instrument, you know, running them all over creation um, every single day may not be the best thing um, based on your particular child and your family. So I think it's really important too to, um, to point out that, you know, sometimes our expectations as parents are based on having neurotypical kids. They're based on that mm-hmm. general societal definition and that doesn't apply to us when That's we're so raising true. kids with ADHD. So we have to learn to totally, um, for the most part, recraft that definition, recraft our expectations. Mm-hmm. And so like Diane, what you're speaking to that, the, the second point you were making about um, the business of life, right? Speaks really clearly to that. Yeah. Because I think that what, you know, it, it's easy, you know, we, we all have, we all have values, right. That are underneath this and, and Penny, you know, it's like, even if we value having connection and family life, we also um, come in with values of, Many of us with education and and, um, success and all those other things. And what happens is as a parent, we kind of look at those two things and we say, okay, which one is, which one is more important or which one am I more likely to honor? And, and a lot of times we get so busy and so scared. And if there's fear attached to either of Uh those values, and so a lot of us get really afraid, particularly with our, these complex kids about our kids ability to be quote unquote successful, whether that's our vision of success or the world's vision of success. So all of a sudden fear, fear creeps in. And when fear creeps in, we get a little bit more frantic and we get a little bit more, um, anxious to make sure something gets fixed. And so our energy around those fear-based values ends up higher. So if I've got, oh my gosh, I want my kid to do well in school and I'm a little bit afraid about their ability to do that. 
and I've got, oh, I want to really have fun and enjoy and, and have a, a, a connected family, your energy is going to, your energy is not going to be healthy energy, but your energy is going to lean towards that fear-based value Absolutely. just out of human nature. Right, mm -hmm. right. And so when you redefine that value, you know, because I or think, you know, we talk about, yeah, Recognize we talk about values, right? Right. So an yeah. education and um, being a successful, happy adult, you know, get a deep dive on that. What does that really look like for your family? Define it because yeah. you don't need straight A's to get in college. You don't need a college degree to do something you're passionate about and leave a positive mark on the world and to be happy. So, you know, we, we again, we get all these um, generalizations about what it takes to get our kids to this happy, successful adulthood that we want them to be in. But we have to really define what that looks like individually for our families. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. I think that helps with that fear, you know, instead yeah. of being so fearful that they're not going to do well later because they don't have straight A's and they're not going to get into college. We're kind of, you know, rethinking that we're changing our thought pattern to help with that fear. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And it's not, but it's not always easy to do that. Right. No, and so it's that, not. That's what we, that's what we do when we're conscious and we're aware and we're calm enough. And I right. think that that's really the piece of this underneath any of this is, you know, what do we, what do we need to do as individuals to help ourselves get into that place where we can remember those things that we're talking about mm -hmm. it, it, because when you're afraid or you're, you know, or you're even anxious about your child's future or you're overwhelmed, a lot of the parents, um, we all work with, are taking care of so many details and there's so many balls in the air and, and our ability to kind of go, oh, wait, everything's going to be okay. I had a mom yesterday and she's, she needed a new mantra. Her, her mantra is, my daughter's going to be fine. But it yeah. just it, it's so hard to even get to that place where you can say, okay, my kid's going to be fine. I don't need to freak out about this. Yeah. yeah. And freaking yeah. out about it isn't helping anyone. It's not serving anyone. It's not helping you to get where you want to be it's actually hindering that process you know I tell my daughter all the time who has anxiety um she doesn't have an ADHD diagnosis but she has some extreme anxiety and you know when she starts to get panicked and really worked up she she instantly looks to me and now she's in college you know now it's you have to help yourself some too right and so you know my conversation with her is always the more you can remain calm the more clearly you're going to think and then you can problem solve and then you can get where you want to go you can meet whatever goal it is that you're trying to achieve and I think the same goes with our parenting you know the more we can remind ourselves that staying calm um, is going to have the best outcome, the easier it is for us to start really living in that space more often than not. And, you know, it's a process. This takes a lot of work. I'm not saying that, you know, our listeners are going to go, oh, yeah, I'm just going to throw that fear right out. I'm good now. You know, I mean, obviously it takes a ton of work, but I think that should be our goal that's where we want to get because that's yeah. going to be the most helpful it's going to be the most helpful in our relationship with our child and also um in helping them you know grow into the person that we hope that they'll be um yeah. 
Well, and it's funny because what you're speaking to is like two of the two of the key tenets we talk about. One is if all else fails, focus on the relationship, right? If you don't know what mm-hmm. to do, focus on the relationship. Yeah. Um, and the other is is stay calm. Is that you know you you really can't you can't problem solve effectively out outside of calm. And as you say, it's not easy to do. And so it's about learning strategies and what works for you to stay calm. You know, whether it's we teach a four step process to escape the stress cycle, or whether it's meditation and mindfulness or, you know, whatever it is that you use to reconnect yourself to calm um, is finding that which methods work for you, but knowing in the first place to, to, to start from a place of calm and to catch yourself when you're getting triggered and not, not right. allow the, the process to escalate from there. Well, and, is, and I, and I would, yeah. And I would take that a step further, Elaine, because part yeah. of this is about our kids and our kids calm because so many yeah. of the, you were talking about your daughter with anxiety. I have a daughter with anxiety as well. We have yeah. kids that are yeah. overwhelmed <laughs> and mm-hmm. feeling bad about themselves and not able to figure out how to get their brains to work the way they do. My, my son's been texting me all morning. He's at a gap year program up in Massachusetts and he's really, really sick. And he's like, mm. mom send me, bring me home. And he's, and I'm like, you know, you can figure out how to handle this. You can get to work today. You can do this, but he's so triggered that he's just completely shut down. Yeah. And so, you know, part of this is noticing and knowing, gee, what's going on for my kiddo right now. If I'm, if I'm having conflict or I'm having difficulty is part of it that my kid is so overwhelmed that they're not able to really engage in conversation or problem solving with me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important too to point out that it's it's a physiological thing. Mm-hmm. The more yes, worked up totally. we get, the less our cognitive function. Yep. Which means the less our ability to problem solve. So it really yep. is a physiological thing. It's not just about the emotion. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think it helps people to really focus on it more to say, you know, yeah, your body is kind of working against you. You're falling into that trap of being triggered. Um, and that awareness of that and the fact that it's going to actually inhibit what you're trying to do, I think will help people to, to work on that more. Yeah. Yeah. We call it amygdala hijack. When yep. your amygdala steps in and hijacks the brain, yep. um, you really can't problem solve effectively until you step out of that and reclaim your frontal lobe. And it and, happens to everyone. You know, it doesn't yeah. just happen to people with anxiety or ADHD. You know, all of us um, can yeah. fall into that space when we get emotional or we get triggered. And so I think it's really important to to make sure that everyone knows that as well, that it really is part of the way your brain is working. Um, and, and you have a great effect on that as well. Um, so let's move on, I think, and talk a little bit about, um, relationships with our other kids. So for parents who have a child with ADHD, but they also have neurotypical kids or they have kids who don't require as much um, attention and guidance, those relationships are very often neglected, not intentionally. You know, we certainly don't intend to do that, but it happens. Um, and I and our, our kids, those, those siblings really feel that. 
-hmm. much more intensely is what I learned in my own family. They feel it much more intensely than it's even really realistically happening. Um, and so I think it's really, really important to give some attention and time and mindfulness to those relationships as well. Our relationships with those, with our kids who don't have ADHD or other challenges. Uh-huh. No question. It's like, it's, it's, there's so much, there's so many directions to go here, but what, what jumps out at me is this sense that um, we have children, like for those of us who have multiple children, right? So I have three kids. Diane has, has three kids. Um, when you have multiple children, you have a relationship with your children, right? Mm-hmm. But you also have a relationship with each individual child. Right. And I think sometimes we forget to focus on those individual relationships because we're so busy just trying to manage that, that the crew, right? <laughs> right? Trying to stay afloat. Just trying to stay afloat. And so, um, you know, one of the things I used to do when my kids were little, I had a philosophy about dating my kids. And so I had a date with every single one of my kids every month. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they could have a choice of what they wanted to do. It was their agenda. And I made really strong efforts not to correct any behaviors, <laughs> you know, but to make sure that I was having independent time with each of them. Um, because, and now, now having said that I don't have any neurotypical kids, so (laughs) I don't quite know what that world looks like. And and I do think that's a different conversation. Um, well, so can I jump in for a second? Yeah. And, cause I, and I and I don't. I thought I had a neurotypical kid, and then I found out later you that didn't, I didn't. Right? <laughs> Me too. Me um, too. But I think that that I think that the important thing kind of goes back to something Elaine said early on, which is about meeting them where they are, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and this is true with anybody. Neurotypical, typical. I, I mean, I don't think it. I'm of the belief that it doesn't matter, right? And so you you know you look at the person in front of you. And you say, what's the kind of relationship I want to have with this person? What what kind of relationship does this person want to have with me? What are they capable of? What am I capable of? And and you start the dance, you know. And I think that that's the piece of it is that it. I don't. I think that there are some dynamics that happen when you have um, more than one child in a family, and one child is complex. Whether it's that they're more complex or differently complex, or right. you're not. You know, you have one that's not complex. But it's, you know, so you want to pay attention to our, you know, is anybody feeling left out? Is anybody feeling um, judged in a different way? Is anybody feeling like the standards aren't fair? You know, it's like, you know, so you want to pay attention and notice where that person in your relationship is feeling discomfort and and serve that rather than, you know, than anything else. I don't know if that makes complete sense or... No, I totally. love that. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I used to say to my kids is that, no, you're not all going to get the same thing. You're each going to get what you need. Yeah. yeah. Fair isn't right. equal. Fair That's is one not of the my same. F- it does not mean the favorites. same. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Fair isn't equal. And, and, and to, buy, to get them to buy into that, to like help them see that, to see each other's differences. Mm-hmm. And that sort of goes back to that initial conversation of respecting each other's strengths and differences, right? Um when they really do, and they really can buy into that notion that as long as I'm getting my needs met, it's okay if it's not the same as what my sister or brother gets. Right. right? And I think when you do things with your kids that 
um, is really important to them individually, something that they're passionate about that you're not doing with that sibling that gets more time. I think mm-hmm. it feels even more like you're really attending to them. You're mm-hmm. really clued in um, and really focusing on that relationship you know i think that that makes it even more impactful and powerful for Mm -hmm. that child um you know i'll tell a quick story my daughter um started having a lot of anxiety when my son started having outbursts in public And Mm -hmm. so, you know, after a while, we realized that this was really something that she needed some help with. And she started seeing the same therapist that was working with my son. And I'll never forget that first meeting when she was just, you know, trying to get to know my daughter and the situation and what was really um, how she was really feeling. You know, she started telling the story that that her dad and I should just build an altar to her brother and bow down to it every day because that's pretty much what we're doing anyway. And of course, you know, my head almost exploded and 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 the therapist taught me something so valuable that I have used ever since that was probably seven or eight years ago. She said that I could not interrupt and I could not correct her that she was expressing to us how she felt and it was so important to let her do that and that was a monumental shift I think in my parenting but obviously in my awareness of of how much it was really impacting her the 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 difference in the amount of attention that the way she was seeing that you know Mm -hmm. and what came of that is that we started having you know mom daughter dates and and the other thing that was really important with that was that we always made sure that our individual time with her mine or her dad's could not be interrupted by adhd or her brother's needs So no one is going to call you if you're out with her unless somebody is on their way to the ER. You know, that it's all just going to be handled and it's not going to infringe on that time with that child. And I think that's really, really key because that's what's happening happening to them so often day to day in a family with a kid with challenges Um, and they may have some of their own challenges but what I'm really talking about is the disparity in how much time and attention one child might need over another Um, and so I was was just working with with an adult client with ADHD this morning who was in her 60s and she had this realization about how much time her mom had spent when they were kids with her older sister who had some more significant mental health issues. And so her ADHD was never diagnosed as a child. I mean, you know, which is pretty right. typical of that era. Yeah. But, you know, at, here she is at 60 something years old having a conversation about what it was like to have a parent who was so attentive to the needs of a sibling with more intense issues that she felt like she was missed. Mm-hmm. You know, so. and that's just human nature. You know, it's right. natural, and and our job as parents is to be aware of it, to really yeah. focus the mindfulness on that, and then to address it. And I think it's a part of our, you know, that's probably the biggest piece of our relationship with the siblings that um, is dysfunctional, but can be improved and be improved pretty easily. 
you know, just giving some time and attention, focusing on that um, is not that hard to do. And, okay. you know, you don't have to spend money on it. You don't have to go, you know, take them to Disney or something. You just the time and attention is all they're really needing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think and that, that, that yeah. yeah, I think that the thing that kind of comes up for me more than anything else in this conversation is it's about consciousness and, yes. and awareness, that, yeah. that an awareness and really kind of finding a way to prioritize it. And it's like there's so many things to do, particularly when you have complex kids, particularly when you have more than one kid in different places. But if you, you know, if you add on your list and we all have lists, for, at mm-hmm. least most of us have lists, it's like, you know relationship with kid number one, relationship with kid number two. And we just kind of consciously say relationship with my partner, relationship with myself. And we haven't really talked about self-care yet, but that much, but it's, if you take that moment to just say, okay, what am I doing here? What, how am I noticing this? Am I once a week asking myself, what did we do with, what do we do and how are we doing? You know, it's just really raising your awareness and your consciousness enough to shift the needle. We're not talking about home runs here. Um, because there's a lot of moving pieces as we've been talking about the last 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And schedule it. If you're having a hard time because you're so overwhelmed and things keep popping up that feel super important, schedule it, put it on your calendar, block out the time and don't let anything else interfere. You know, that's something, um, you know, we have the happy mama retreat, which Elaine came and spoke, um, in 2017 at our retreat about relationships and it's all about self-care we don't talk Mm -hmm. much about the kids we don't you know it's about how do we take care of ourselves how do we um honor our own person outside of being a mother but also honoring the challenging parenthood that we have and Mm -hmm. I, you know, every year there are some parents, some moms at the last minute who decide that they can't do it. They can't be away from their kids. They can't, they feel like they're not, um, you know, serving their family. They feel selfish that they might take three days to themselves. And so, you know, that mindset creeps in. And I think it's really, really important. And, and we should talk about our relationship with ourselves and self-care because that impacts our relationships with everyone else you know Absolutely. when when we're feeling good when we're feeling calm then we're modeling that for our kids but we're also kind of putting that energy into all of our relationships as well mm-hmm. well so so can i make a request before we move to self-care because yes. there's one more thing i want to make sure we don't miss yep and that's for those of us who do have have kids who have siblings is, is their relationships with each other. Yeah. So one of the things that I think brings parents to us in conversations a lot is I don't want my kids to hate each other. I don't want my kids to be fighting as much as they are. You know, like I want my kids to like each other and it, they're not, they're struggling with that. Yeah. Um, you know, and we've, we've done some, I think some webinars in the past on, you know, building teams and families. And, and I think that part of, part of this consciousness and awareness we're talking about in terms of meeting each kid where they are, um, another piece of it is really fostering a sense of we're all in this together. We are a team. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and there's some, some great simple strategies to do that. You know, it's sort of like, in our family, the Taylor classes, we stand for this, or we Taylor classes do that, sort of labeling ourselves as a group and, and identifying what the values are. In the Taylor class house, it may be crazy, but we always have fun, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um, 
You know, so rather than having it be rules to sort of begin to set an environment of who we are as a community um, and use that as a way to really foster our kids' attention to and respect of each other. I think that fosters all the relationships, too. Yes, exactly. And and the thing that's coming up for me, Elaine, as you said, is you say that we haven't said yet is that part of this is about setting realistic expectations. And a lot Mm -hmm. of times we kind of have this fantasy of what family life is supposed to be like. And so Mm -hmm. this is part of what gets in the way is the story we tell ourselves. It's like, oh, my gosh, if our kid, if my kids fight, it's it's bad. Or, oh, you know, it's like my kids have to be best friends. It's like, you know, in my house, it's like if my kids fight really well and and hug it out at the end or whatever they need to do to kind of get back on their solid ground after they do it, it's like I might go for it. You know, it's like healthy, healthy conflict is awesome because it's normal. And I think that a lot of times we kind of have this perspective of what it's supposed to be like in a family. And part of that comes from our own parenting and our own background and our own, you know, our own tolerances and everything else. But I think part of this is really kind of allowing our kids to have the relationship that they're going to have. Yes. And not the one that we think they should have. Yep. And mm-hmm. it kind of ties in, Elaine, you were talking about this with their parent. It's like, you know what? Your kids may get along brilliantly or they may not get along at all. And I think about I've got two brothers and I used to tease that one would beat me up and the other would tell on me. But I could never tell you which one would do what because they both would just like interchange it. And I've had different stages in my life when I was really close to one and not at all close to the other and vice versa. And it's like your kids are going to have a relationship with each other longer than they're going to have a relationship with probably anybody else in their lives. And so you want to put, you know, support them having that relationship and figuring out how to be in relationship with each other, meeting each other where they are, loving each other, showing compassion. I mean, all those things that we've been talking about, but just let it be what it's going to be. Well, I I, I would say a yes and to that. Yes to everything you just said. And we have the opportunity to encourage it to be connected to, to help mm-hmm. them see that they are, that they, this is the longest relationship that they're likely to have in their lives. You know, we always make jokes with our kids about who's going to take care of us and they've already divided up the roles of who's going to take care of us when we're old. Right. You know, and like, <laughs> so I want them to see that they're in it together and yeah, it's all, right. their, you know, like that, that, that is a, is a tone that I set in the home that David and I set in the home. Of we're all in this together, and and so and part of that has meant educating them about each other's difficulties and challenges and disabilities. Yeah. Right. Yes. One has a lot of ADHD. Well, everybody has ADHD, um, but one has you know a significant more anxiety. Another one has more depression. Like you know, and so helping them support each other in their challenges as well as their their gifts, and to really take the stand for. Um, we, we stand for supporting each other. As you say, Diane, whatever that looks like for them is their choice. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And conflict is natural. You know, it's, yeah. if our goal is perfection, we have the wrong goal. We're, we're definitely <laughs> needing to redefine our expectations. Right. So, you know, I think, and that's hard, especially, I mean, I have significant anxiety myself. I have always battled this whole idea of perfectionism. You know, I never can let anything go and be good enough. And I see that in my daughter with her anxiety too. And, you know, just a lot of us, we see, you know, in the media and in social media, especially, we see the best parts of everyone's lives. And it makes it really hard to remind ourselves that they have struggles and challenges too. Their family isn't perfect. 
Mm-hmm. We're just not seeing it. They're not publicizing it. So I think we have to work harder now in an age of social media to remind ourselves that perfection doesn't exist and everybody mm-hmm. has challenges. They just might be different in the family next door than in your house. Um, I think that's really important, again, for our own self-care, to, to be in the right mindset for this challenging parenthood and to be in the right mindset to have healthy relationships with the people in our families is to keep that awareness that perfection doesn't exist and that we're really working towards something else and then defining what that something else is. Um, would you guys so say, would, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So can I, I would spin that just a little bit differently because I actually believe that everything is perfect exactly the way it is, you know, yeah, and, and, and I know that that's hard yeah. just to, to swallow, but it's kind of like that sort of it's, you know, it, it is, you know, this is, this is life and this is, this is what it is. And it's, you know, it's when we get into that judgment of, you know, oh my gosh, it'll never be perfect or, oh my gosh, it has to be perfect or whatever else is where we start getting tripped up. And so, you know, I, I just challenge people and, and, you know, people might not agree with what I'm saying. They may not agree with what you're saying, but I want to just challenge us to kind of open that conversation up a little bit more, Penny. No, I think you're totally right. I think that we do have to figure out how to find joy in imperfection. And, you know, there are sayings out there about life is messy and messy can be beautiful. And that's totally true. Um, And I think, you know, in my mind, that's part of saying perfection doesn't exist is also to say that that's okay. And and, you know, where we are today is good and it's um, it's okay. It's acceptable and it's even great. It can be great. Mm -hmm. It's all about your mindset. It's really about how you're looking at it. You know, if you're always focusing on weakness, you're always going to feel stressed and um, that's going to affect your relationships. So it's really, like you said, Diane, getting into that mindset of this is what we have and this can be great. This is our story and our story is awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is a tremendous, if, if we can do this segue into self-care. Yes, <laughs> right? we have about three minutes left. Right, so let's... because we struggle so hard with this sort of progress or perfection or like, you know, you had said earlier, Diane, about moving the needle and, um, and you know, we want to move our worlds forward. And self-care is about meeting ourselves where we are, right? It's mm-hmm. about, you know, taking that moment, that pause just check in and say, how am I doing? And, um, and what do I need to be able to keep going out there and tackling the world? And we, we tend to feel, as you said, kind of guilty and shame around it, or particularly, you know, I think stay-at-home moms have one kind of guilt around it, and, and working moms have another kind of guilt around right. it. Um, but it's all about, I should be giving, 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 giving until we give ourselves away. And and so I guess I want to talk about what does it mean to take care of us? And, um, you know, for some people, I think we start with self-care as a gift to our kids. Like if we can, if for no other reason, we can focus on self-care because we're modeling that for children and teaching them how to take care of themselves. Exactly. That may be the starting point for a lot of us. Exactly. 
Yeah, I think, you know, that was a big turning point for me a few years ago was, you know, I am making sure to put everyone else first and what I need or want or who I am outside of being a parent doesn't matter. And I realized that my daughter was, you know, a young teenager at that point. And that's what she was learning from me is that everybody else mattered more than I did. And that was a real aha for me and a big turning point to say, you know, I should do things for myself. I should, you know, have a hobby and spend time on it, or I should take off on a walk by myself for 30 minutes to have peace and quiet, Um, that it's important in that aspect, outside of also being important for my own well being and my own mental health. Um, That that's a crucial piece of it. And I think another piece of self care that we haven't really talked about is we've talked about changing our expectations and writing more appropriate expectations for our families and our relationships. And I think that goes for ourselves as well. You know, I I tell parents all the time, let yourself off the hook. You're human. You made a mistake. Mm -hmm. Go to your child and say, Hey, you know, I got triggered this time. I shouldn't have yelled. I'm so sorry. You know, that's teaching again you're modeling the way that you want them to handle the same sort of situations and you're also forgiving yourself and you're able to then move forward and reduce your stress but that you know that to me is part of self-care too the way that we treat ourselves and judge ourselves um, Mm -hmm. is super important yeah diane what would you add I'm so with you. No, I just, I think, I think you're right. I think that underneath all of this is there's, you know, it's not, it's not just enough to say, okay, I'm going to take care of myself because most of us get that it helps. Um, but it's, I think that for many of us, total generalization here, but many of us, there's some block there, right? So there's some mm-hmm. shame, there's some guilt, there's some Absolutely. fear, there's some, something underneath it that's keeping us from you know, going to the gym or keeping us from what, whatever else. And it's like, and, and for some of us, we can power through and say, okay, I'm just going to schedule a self-care time and I'm going to do it. But for others of us, there really is something that's kind of getting in the way. Um, whether it's, you know, we're afraid of devaluing something else, or we just are kind of so caught up in the whirlwind of life that it, it's hard to kind of get our head clear enough to go, oh, wow, if I'm more calm I'll be able to be more successful. Mm-hmm. My definition of successful as a mom. And so I think that that's kind of my, my, my caveat to all of this is that there's a lot of us that get kind of stuck around this idea of taking care of ourselves. And if you're in that place, it's okay. Um, and know that it might take more than just pushing through and saying, I'm going to go to this gym, the gym this month, or, you know, I'm going to set new year's goals. And and then you find out that you don't do them again. I mean, it's, there's this underlying piece that so many of us experience and you might need an extra boost. You might need some help or some coaching to kind of get to that place. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what we do at the happy mama retreat too, is we're saying, you know, the definition of a good mom is a mom who makes time for themselves as well. Cause I think it is a mental block, especially in our society in the U S you know, it's kind of the American way to, as a mom to give everything you have a hundred percent to your kids. That's what mm-hmm. matters most when you're a mom, that's you has to be your top priority or something's wrong with you. You're a selfish 
person and you should be ashamed, right? That's kind of the underlying message that we get so much in our culture. And, you know, to redefine what a good mom is, is really important. You know, she she takes care of herself she takes time for herself she nurtures her own interests and strengths and um, but she also is really effective for her kids and really you know gives them her all but that doesn't mean it's all of her time and every moment exactly yeah. exactly yeah. Well, you know, as I know we're coming to a close, but the story that comes up for me around that was um, watching my my middle kid at college, who find, who had a really good semester, and she realized it's because she decided to prioritize getting enough sleep. And it wasn't me yeah. saying you need to get sleep. It was years and years of growing up in a home with conversations around sleep being part of self care and how hard it is and when do we get it? And, when, and so this semester she prioritized it, like really determined. And she's in the middle of exams and she's not stressed <laughs> and she attributes it to her own self-care. And so it's a lesson she learned. Some of it was by watching because that I can't say I'm so great at it. A lot of it was by me having the conversation sometimes about how hard it is to prioritize. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. comes full circle right back to awareness. Exactly. Being aware of how you feel when you have more sleep, being aware yep. of how you feel when you take a little bit of time for yourself, being aware of the dynamic in your family and your interactions with others when you have spent a little time taking care of yourself. Because if you're aware, exactly. you'll see the benefits. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, I know that we are out of time. You are very busy women and have some other things to get to. So I want to wrap up. Um, I want to be we sure. We can talk about this stuff all, all, all day. day. I know. I know. That's, <laughs> that's pretty much what I say at the end of every podcast. Well, I could talk to you all day about this and probably for yeah. a week straight, but we have to cut it off at some point. <laughs> yeah. I, I think all three of us are super passionate about yes. um, parenting kids with challenges and um you know that experience for the parent as well i i feel like that's also a really important piece of it um and so you know let's talk about where everyone can find you and your work you're at impactadhd.com sanityschool.com i know on your website impact adhd you have links for your social media accounts and other places where our listeners can follow you and um, engage and interact with you so i will let them find that um Every link, everything we have talked about will be in the show notes, and you will also get a link to get um, Elena Diane's freebie, a free download, The Parent's Guide to Motivating Your Complex Kid. And again, I will have a link in the show notes to where you can go on their website and grab that um, guide that I know will be super helpful. Um, I've really enjoyed talking to you both as usual. We've had several interactions with each other in the past. We have very similar approaches to parenting yeah. challenging kids. And so it's always super fun to talk to you. Um, anything else that either of you want to add here at the end of our conversation? 
I guess what I want to end with is, is first, thank you for having us and having this conversation because I think it's so powerfully important. Absolutely. Um, and sort of to, to pull back what we said in the conversation earlier, which is when you're feeling frustrated or overwhelmed or lost or concerned or whatever, when you don't know what to do, default to relationships. It, it's at the core of everything. Yeah, absolutely. I think so, too. Well, thank you um, again for the listeners. Go to parentingadhdandautism.com slash zero two three, and that will take you to the show notes for this episode, and you will be able to connect with Elaine and Diane there. So thanks for joining us today on the Parenting ADHD Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Parenting ADHD Podcast with Penny Williams. If you like what you just heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit the website parentingadhdandautism.com for so much more on successfully raising kids with ADHD. Be sure to check out the podcast section as well for previous shows. Join us next time for more parenting strategies and insights that actually work for kids with ADHD.